I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Live from various residents in downtown Toronto, this is Jim Rats and Joints with Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, and Dan Gladman. Today... Jim Rats and Joints welcomes Ottawa Blackjacks GM, Javon Shepard. Jim Rats and Joints is brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. For producer Dan Wong and myself, Jeff Cole, let's rack it up, Danny G. Well, we're in lockdown in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's Wednesday, November the 25th. And we started this podcast, we started developing it really in in May and June. And uh, it started with some discussions between producer Dan Wong and myself. And we talked to Andy Routens and we talked to this guy, Javon Shepard. And we put this team together. And we've been doing this podcast for about four months. And we get hit with a little bit of news this week that our guy Shep has been named the general manager of the Ottawa Blackjacks of the Canadian Elite Basketball League, the CEBL. And we are unbelievably proud of him. But we're going to have to turn the tables on him today, at least for the first half of the show. He is not part of the podcast host. He is the interview subject And we are going to grill him about this new position he's taken on. We're going to get to the bottom of it. We're going to find out how he plans to win the championship. And we're going to have a really good time doing it. So let's let's bring in Javon Shepard here, the general manager of the Ottawa Blackjacks. Shep, I got to start by saying congratulations on this new post. So proud of you. My brother, thanks so much, man. But nothing changes here. We're still having fun. We'll We'll still turn up. Nothing changes. Let's go. (laughs) Andy and me are going to have fun today. You're on the hot seat now. (laughs) You're going to have to get used to this as you are now a front office person in a professional basketball league. Why why don't you you start, tell us a a little bit about the job, what it entails, and what your goals are as a GM of the Blackjacks. You know, I think first and foremost, we're... You know, there were, there were some synergy and things aligned with myself and, and the president, Mike Svitskich, uh, as well as the president of the league, Mike Morreale, is I wanted, you know, I wanted to be inclusive. And I've seen how they really, you know, constructed the league in itself and just unifying the basketball community. So for myself, it was, I seen, you know, there was a, there was a space, there was a platform for that in in Ottawa, and, you know, that was paramount. And also, there was, there was a lot of talent in that region. And it was just really, okay, thinking, like, this is this is a really good opportunity to not only develop guys on the court, but there's enough resources to develop them off the court as well because you are in the nation's capital. So, you know, it was a fun project, and, and there was a lot of people that were extremely supportive. And I said, you know what, let's, 
let's go ahead and, and explore it. Shep, uh, just kind of curious about how this kind of snowballed and how this opportunity came about for you personally. Um, and, and hopefully you can tell us a little bit about your, your personal relationships with the GM, uh, uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, the, the commissioner, Mike Morielli. Well, you know, it's funny because my first interaction with any of those, with any of the executive members of CBL was this past summer when I was doing the broadcasting with CBC. Mm-hmm. So I would go up and check in on some of the games, you know, just get my notes in order to look at, scout some of the teams, um, understand some of the talent that was there, that was pooled there together. And then, you know, over time, just gradually introduce yourself and just have conversation with, you know, Mike Morales, the Richard Petco, who's actually the, the owner. Um, and then some of the other GMs that we, you know, you Andy, you and I have played with, played with and played against. And it was just, you know, it was really family oriented. And, and then, you know, from there, it kind of snowballed into, um, some changes were going to be made after after the season, um, which I said I, I seen the opportunity. And I, I reached out to the president and asked, you know, you know, what is the process going to be like? And from there, you know, we went step after step. But I, I think, you know, that that whole experience was great because I got to scout and analyze not only the players but the whole league at the same time. So I had essentially done all my homework for the position. Um, a couple months in advance, which, you know, also got to work with Danny G. Rack it up, Danny G. Rack it up. Rack it up, Danny G. He was producing <laughs> the games for CBC, which was, you know, that was an amazing experience because I had always known of Danny. Like he'd been, you know, part of the basketball community from the grassroots level. And then, you know, to see him producing... The, the, the rappers doing the, the, the championship run was like, hold on, I'm actually working with, with this guy, the same producer. And he just made everything seamless and easy. So that was, you know, you really got to network and get involved with everybody from from all angle. Uh, Shep, kind of piggybacking off this and, and your, your experience this summer with the CBL and being with CBC and covering it, uh, what was your first take uh, on the action in the league and the CBL? CBL uh, and the level of play, the you know the the kind of players that they had there. Uh, you know what I think, Andy. For for you and I, this would have been a perfect league to come home to when we were playing when we we're in our primes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To beat absolutely, and compete at a high level, stay in shape. Right? Like we were always running around searching for gyms. Oh, that never ended. Yeah, right. Like, yep. I'm calling you. You're calling me. Where are we working on? We're we're, you know, scratching every day. Every so you know, from that standpoint, it was interesting because you know when you have guys like Jermaine Anderson that's involved, Joel Anthony, Anthony, Antoine Atohini, Victor Razzo, all guys that have been former players, Charles Kissy, they understood that. So not only did they put a great group of guys together for their teams respectively, but mm-hmm. now they provided, you know, a space where guys can come work out, guys could come rehab, guys could come and just, you know, the shit that we enjoy, the camaraderie, just come and shoot the shit. So I, I think from that aspect, it was it was interesting to see. And then, you know, from my, where I, where I got to fit in, like I had the experience of working with Andy Petrillo from, I, I was, I was going to say CBC, but she pretty much, she does it all. She does, you know, she's an amazing broadcaster, sportscaster, 
um, a great personality, uh, great you know, a great character person. Like she was one of the first people to reach out to me after I uh, got this position here and said, pretty much, I left her. Like, how could I do this? But it was all in fun and all in love. And then you know, a lot of people at CBC, it's all love there too. So from from every angle, it was it's been a great experience, especially you know us just stepping away from playing. That transition is usually extremely hard. So the right. you know, fact that the CBL provides a platform where you can reach out and there's so many resources depending mm-hmm. on do you want to do front office, do you want to go into coaching, do you want to go into um, broad, broadcasting or health, you want to do some form of banking, like those yeah. resources are there. I think it was just inclusive. I think that's such a beautiful thing for them to provide that because as an athlete, you you, know, you invest so much time and energy into what you do and, and you really don't give yourself too much time to dive into too many different routes and, and opportunities while you're trying to be the consummate professional that you are every day. So mm-hmm. for them to understand that and kind of give that segue and allow you know, a professional league for Canadians by Canadians to grow themselves, I think is a, is a beautiful thing. And to have you had that for Ottawa is like, it's a beautiful thing, man. I'm super happy for you. Thanks. Appreciate you, brother. Yes, sir. Hey, keep it going. Shep, I'll be sure to uh, message Andy and let her know that, you know, you're leaving her group behind, but you're sticking with us. She'll, uh, she'll I can't leave her. That's, that's, that's my, that's my right hand. I can't, I can't (laughs) leave her. Well, she, uh, I've worked with her too, and she is a, the, literally the consummate professional, one of the best broadcasters that we have in Canada. Um, I, I love what you guys are saying about the CEBL. You know, the first year of its existence, I wasn't able to pay as much attention to it because it was during that Raptors championship run um, that I was, you know, involved in and uh, was was very focused on. But it was in the second season, and it was a, a shortened summer series in the bubble in St. Catharines. Um, but I was exposed not only to the caliber of play and the athletes, but the people involved in it. And you mentioned, you know, you mentioned some names. Victor Razzo, he was a head coach. Uh, Jermaine Anderson was a, a general manager of the Hamilton Honey Badgers, I believe. Mm-hmm. And you just see positions in professional basketball now for Canadians in Canada. And it's something that has to be taken seriously. I mean, I think the best example was Nick Nurse's stint in the British Basketball League. I mean, how many of us at first would would take the British Basketball League seriously? Well, guess what? There's an NBA championship caliber coach who was a coach in, you know, maybe got his start in the BBL. So these things do lead to incredible opportunities within the profession. And, and I think it's an incredible profession within Canada f- for you. Um, you said some really sweet things about me, and I appreciate it. But we're still going to ask you tough questions, Chef. No. And, uh, well, before you even get there, I want to touch on that. Because I know you said Nick Nurse, right? He started in BBL, had yeah. his time in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always harp on this thing, you know, this whole sports um, being big on relationships. He actually just signed on, I know when Nate Bjorken took the job in Indiana, one of his former coaches as well, you know, that coached with him abroad and, and, and came up with him. Even, I believe they won a championship coaching the, the G League team in, in Iowa. And for me, when you get to see that stuff and you're, and you're looking at the resumes of some of these accomplished coaches and you're seeing, okay, they started in, you know, semi-pro, quote-unquote, semi-pro leagues or minor leagues, in it, so to say, and now to see where they are, you know that they 
this is this is definitely a stepping stone. Like you're in it's it, it starts here. Whatever it is for yes. you starts right here. Absolutely. I like it. It starts. Not to mention, fellas, this you know you you have mentioned Nick Nurse getting a start up in the in the BBL, and now the, the London Lions of the British Basketball League are participating in the Basketball Champions League, right. which is one of the highest levels of European competition. Yeah. Uh, kind of women into you know everybody's normal regular season. It's like you know. Uh, FIFA competition for soccer, it's the same thing. It's the highest level. So the British Basketball League is coming along, and there's no doubt that Nick Roots had, uh, Nick Nurse had the roots there and, and grew that league up. And I think that's what the goal is generally for the CBL and, and having you come in to, to, to kind of follow in those footsteps. Well, Shep, I'd like to get my start in the CBL. And if, if you you know, if you need someone to, like, bring you water or Gatorade <laughs> or carry the, you know, carry the clipboard and, yeah. Coach, here's your clipboard, sir, um, you know, <laughs> I might be available in the summer. Let, let, let's ask you about your your goals when you were younger. I mean, you always wanted to be a professional basketball player. Check. You did that for 11 years. Now, in the in the year that I've known you, you've, you've become a realtor. You're a father. You're a podcaster, a broadcaster. And now you're a, you're a general manager of a professional team. Could you have imagined almost any of these things i mean considering that you were so focused on basketball your whole life i'll, I'll really i really just want to ask you did you ever imagine having a job like like gm you, i never imagined it but i never imagined quote unquote having a job or working per se so when you put that into perspective and, and andy can attest to this too there's nights where we woke up in cold sweats you know trying to figure out what are we going to do after playing basketball the reality is you know, you make make really good money, but once you get into the middle of your career, you stop and you say, "Shit, I'm not going to be rich forever." Like it's not. This is not a. It's not a game that you know. You know, getting that max salary. You know, we, yeah. Like unless you're getting that that Amari Stoudemire go mill in New York, it doesn't. It that well runs dry. So you know, waking up in cold sweats before and then I just you know started to read a lot. I think that's probably the first time I actually read a book was, you know, midway through my career when I was like, okay, I need self-help. I need to get through my nights. Then, then you know, you, you go from that and you just realize, do things you love, do things you have passion in. And even like right now, you listed off a couple, like so many things to one that might seem like you're biting off a lot, but I don't even leave my house to do any of them. Right? So it's, and it's because you follow the path of, of, of passion and, and love where you do things on your own term. It never seems like a job because you, you're enjoying it. And then you're, out, you're working with people. You can control who you work with. So you're working with people that you enjoy working with. We're sitting here with you. Like this, we're sitting here. This is a job right here. This would be a job for some people, but with people that we enjoy being with. So no, it's, it's just follow your passion. Follow your passion. Identify your passion and follow it. Uh, Shep, was there ever was there ever somebody you came across, uh, maybe a younger a younger athlete or someone who's close to you that you kind of coached or mentored that you had a feeling that this might be in the cards for you after the fact? Ah, uh, you know what? I, I I think where that's concerned, I always got joy out of seeing people accomplish their goals and being able to be in a position to help people or have the resources to to connect people so that they could you know be happy themselves so i got as much joy out of that 
maybe it's an ego thing because I was a part of that. I can, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was a, not to say to control it, but I was, you know, the key to yeah, that. Their life for, for the better. Right. So right. Um, where that's concerned, I was like, okay, I, I have interest in that and I want to be that person, be in a position of power, a position where I can help others su- succeed or accomplish things that they want to. But, you know, I think that's why coaching is never really interest me because you're focused on wins and losses to save your ass as a coach, right? As opposed, and I know they can be impactful and change, you know, a a kid's life or so to say, or even a professional, a grown man's life. But at the end of the day, your, your measure is the wins and losses of your team. Shep, let's, um, let's assume what I think is a fact that the CBL is growing and has a lot of room to grow. Um, you know, it's it's more than likely that people who are listening to us today or tonight or whenever they're listening m- maybe haven't watched a CBL game before. Um, can you explain the league? Can you talk about the direction the league is going in, what it hopes to achieve, and how your involvement in it um, can can contribute to that? I think, you know, foundationally, it's a league for Canadians, made by Canadians for Canadians. So 80% of the league, 80% of the players are Canadians in the league, and then even a higher number of the, the staff members and executive board. Um, so I, I think where that's concerned, it's really, if somebody hasn't seen it, it's developing the game within our own communities. And that's that's big for us because, as you see, not one basketball is the fastest growing sport in, globally. And then, you know, the, the progress that we've seen within our own backyard and the successes that we've seen, you know, the Chris Boucher's, the Shea Gilgers, Alexander's, the Jamal Murray's, Tristan Thompson, Corey Joseph's. I think we have 24 um, NBA players Canadian-born right now, right? And that, and a, at a league like this, will help that number to grow because now you have young athletes that not only can play and, and develop amongst pros, but they can see it and envision that, okay, playing professionally is real. Like, I can I can get there. Now there's another level for me. And I think when you, you know, if you have an agenda to, you know, like the president and myself have in, in Ottawa to get into the communities as well and not just on, not just the basketball side, but, you know, to help the growth there, um, you can do numbers. You can do a lot of things. It can be very imp- impactful. Sounds sounds great to me, Shep. Let, let's let's ask a little bit uh, specifically about what you're bringing to the table. Um, mm-hmm. I know that there were candidates for this position. This isn't just something that was handed to you. You you have to go out and earn it. Um, tell us what, what what qualities you have. What is it that you're going to do that is going to enable you to succeed? in this position and you know tell me from your perspective but you know what did what did the president of the team like about you what is it about you that that sets you ahead of the rest for this kind of a job i think i think one i'm i'm self-aware so i understand my weaknesses i understand my strengths and uh, you know a big thing for me is just being a communicator right and i think that's being a communicator allows everybody to, to contribute the strengths that they have and, and lead in their own respective way. 
Uh, I think you have the title as a GM, but at the same time, there's going to be other, you know, pieces to the puzzle that are stronger in areas that I'm not, right? So you still have to take that into account. I think that was that was a big thing in our discussion is that, you know, I want to be held accountable. I want everybody else to be held equally accountable. And then we all have the same vision, the same ideas for this thing so that we can, you know, move it forward and, and grow, grow into something big, not only just the, that club, but, you know, set a precedence there for the league to follow as well and for the other teams, other communities to um, take heed to. So, yeah, I think it was, there's not much... There's not much nitty-gritty or, or rocket science to it, or, or my own philosophies is just big on communication, big on, on you know, just everybody holding themselves accountable, everybody getting better day-to-day in whatever their respective lane is. And I think, ideally, if, you know, for our organization, if, if everybody within that organization can use that as a launching pad, we've been successful. You know, so we should every year turn around and, and somebody get get an opportunity to move up in a position or, you know, get get a, a great job elsewhere. And this be the, their, their starting point. And I think that's paramount. Uh, I love that. And I, and I think that, you know, knowing you and, and how well you communicate and what you can bring to the table, you're just kind of like the ultimate club, you know. Uh, and, and I think that understanding your shortcomings is half the battle because that's how you grow that's how you learn and you knowing that going in is like you know it's 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 so advantageous for you becoming the person that you're going to be and, and i love i love your mind frame on that um and, and i kind of just wanted to know personally what your goals would be what you would look at success as in your first season with the blackjacks and the cbl i think you know success for the first season with them is building a a staff a team that is committed to the bigger picture, right? And I think that boils down to chemistry as well. Hey, if we don't go out and have, you know, 19 wins in a 20-win season or come up with a championship, that doesn't mean we're unsuccessful. But if we can retain everybody and Mm -hmm. continue to build chemistry and grow from year to year, Mm -hmm. I think now we have a measure of success because we're progressing together as a unit. Yeah. And do, do you see that? Do you see kind of getting like a core chemistry as one of your more important uh, visions for the team? Because, you know, you look at some of the more successful teams, you know, around Europe, around the NBA, the Spurs, Fenerbahce, they kind of retain the same baseline chemistry and then kind of build the pieces wherever they seem fit. Exactly. And then from that, you've built a culture, right? And then once you have a culture built, there's all people always want to come in. Like you attract good people you attract the right people that want to be a part of that culture so that that in itself is success like i i look at the san antonio spurs and i, I think i've mentioned it a couple times on this podcast and i'm still in awe they obviously they, they haven't this year they missed the playoffs they haven't missed the playoffs since 97 i believe it was right so to to you know the naive viewer they'll look at that as unsuccessful or they're on a you know on a decline trajectory but to me when i look at you know, the, the hands they have across the league and that coaches, front office, executives, players, uh, player development that is spread out, their, their family tree is spread out throughout the league. I look at that as real success on top of all the other accolades or the championships within the Popovich tenor. So that's, you know, if you can create that, and obviously it's it's thinking big because... It's on a different scale for it's sure. It's on a different scale because it doesn't have, you know, CBL doesn't have the same financial backing as... The NBA does, 
But when you look at it like that, and, I, and that's why I say if, if you know, the you know, assistant coach or the athletic trainer or the assistant GM or the, whoever, or the president all moves on from year to year into, and you leave on great terms, but they, they go into some greater positions, we've excelled as, as a club, right? And then now you feel somebody that into those positions that has that same belief, same philosophy, and now we're building our family tree. Mm-hmm. Scale schmale. You guys <laughs> just anointed the Blackjacks as San Antonio Spurs North, and I, I, like, it. I like it. We got a Spurs, a Spurs franchise up here in Canada. <laughs> Shep, I, I was with you at CBL Media Day. This is back in, uh, I guess it's July, probably early July 2020. We were, you know, we were wearing our masks. And the one thing that just totally stood out to me that day was all the players, all the coaches, all the general managers, everybody finding their way up to just shoot the breeze with you. They all knew you. You all knew. You knew them all. And I could tell that there's been years of camaraderie, friendship, relationships, playing probably as teammates and opponents. My question to you is... As, as the news broke uh, that you were becoming the general manager of the Ottawa Blackjacks, what kind of uh, reception did you get from guys who are players and who might potentially find their way onto your roster next year? Uh, you know, it was well-received. I mean, a lot of that was, was some, some good stuff, encouraging, you know, humbling to see. Um, and then you're, you know, you get the you get the little jokes of I can still shoot it. I can, you know, I'm coming. My knee feels good. Um, whatever the case may be, or that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, which right. is you're the rainmaker now, right? But at the same time, I think you know guys that have been in the business also get it, and also you have limited roster spots. You essentially have, you know, nine active roster spots in one U sport. But there's there's a lot of guys who play basketball, so uh, I don't think that'll hinder any of the relationships because. Uh, you know, you've already built such a rapport with them. And over the years, like you've seen, you have good relationships with them. Uh, and you've celebrated their successes over the years too and happy for them as well. So if you can, if it if it aligns, great. But what I'm trying to do is really get a- AR to be our shooter, be our, our sniper. But he's not trying to, he's not trying to that hear that. That sounds good. <laughs> Thank he's you, still in tape. Never say that. Here, but I, got, I got, still got some juice left in the tank, Chef. Never he's say not that. trying to hear it. I'm trying to... <laughs> we don't have this to guy can hit threes. We don't have to. I'm, I'm trying to have my people call his people. <laughs> well, you're both my people, so I can arrange this. <laughs> Make well, it happen. Do I get a percent? How's that go? I'll give you anything, but we need a discounted rate on his, on his <laughs> ticket. <laughs> you know, as a as a guy who's who's getting older, but but can still shoot it. I guess my question to you would be would kind of be like, what is what is the CBL game like? What what are what is the level of competition looking like? I know that they have a very similar ending to kind of what we've seen at the TBB tournament level with the mm-hmm. ESPN and the Elam ending. Um, you know, what is what is that like, and what what can we expect? I think you know it's really up and down. It's fast paced. It's it's a scores league because I think in a nutshell that the ending the Elam ending like we've seen there's there's no way around it. I mean, defense is quote-unquote wins championships but in this league you have to score to win like it's a it, there's no regulation anymore there's a race to 
score the amount of points that's up on the board, uh, the, the target scores, right? So, you know, first and foremost, is it's a scores league, and you need guys that can can create and, and you know get a basket. And I think you've seen that with the the Edmonton Stingers this year and Xavier Moon's success and their success because you you had guys that can shoot the basketball and you had a guy that can really create and, and get you a bucket when need be. So, yeah, I think where that's concerned, it's going to be it's just fast-paced scoring and you have to have depth to your team more than anything. That that, that slight rule change in, in how the game, the regulation, the ending of the game changes so much. It's very minim- minimal, but you're not going to be a defensive team or solely like solely based on on defense and be successful because at the end of the day you have to score to win. And people want to see dynamic offenses. They want to see scoring. That's where the entertainment aspect Ex- comes. Exactly. Defense is boring. Like let's be honest, it's crucial. <laughs> it's boring. boring and 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 you know it's not like you know a Big Ten game. You know where it's forty to forty at the end of the, at the end of the score. So <laughs> ACC. I caught that. I caught that. <laughs> a very subtle jab. I was hoping I you caught that. that. <laughs> Don't let it rock. <laughs> that grinder Big Ten basketball. Andy, he was he was going to sign you to be his shooter, and you're cutting him up. I'm going to burn myself, man. I'm <laughs> you might have just lost. You might have just lost your. Uh, your I need him. That's I need him. That's why I let it ride because I, I need him. <laughs> He's smart. Is, I like his style already. I like it. Well, th- this this has been the first. Well, I don't know if it's the first, actually, but it certainly has been an exclusive interview with the general manager of the uh, the Ottawa Blackjacks, just named this week, Mr. Javon Shepard. And now we're going to get back to what the podcast really is, which is a conversation between us. So we'll, we'll let Shep off the hot seat. But the, the first thing, the you know, I want to ask one more question to, to the two of you. We'll take a break then, and then we'll get back to NBA. But... You know, the one question that comes to my mind after seeing this appointment for uh, for Shep, will we see a Canadian general manager one day in the NBA? And what's that going to take? Andy, why don't you go first? I don't see why not. I mean, I think that that position is, is for the taking. Honestly, uh, Canadian basketball is, is the fastest growing sport out here. Um, I think that, you know, every, we're doing the right things to head in the right direction of, of building a basketball brand here in Canada. I think everybody's on that wave. You look at a guy like Shep, who's a prime example of, of building that up. And, and he's, in, he's in a GM position now, and he's still a very young guy with a lot of time ahead of him. So I think there's promise here. And, and I think that, um, you know, the guys have set the bar really high. There's a lot of young guys in the NBA right now. And um, I think that there's ample opportunity for a Canadian GM. And, and I don't see why that can't be the case in the future for sure. I think we're 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 late to the party because Mark Eversley, who is now the GM of Chicago, is actually a Canadian GM. That's true. You're right. Yeah. So we're we can't kick that down that door down anymore. You're right. So so I guess yeah. I I apologize for my mistake on that one. Are we going to see more? Are we going to see more and more? I think we'll see more. I think you know there's an influx of one the talent in the NBA. The, from the player side, side, but then when you have coaches, young coaches, Jay Triano, Nathaniel Mitchell, Scott Morrison, um, Roy Rana, I don't want to miss anybody. Uh, you know, those, those, we've had them all on our show. We've so. had them all on. Like, you know, those are the next step for them is into front office roles and front office positions. So then when you look at, you know, Toronto's 
front office as well. There's, you know, a lot of a couple of Canadians over there, and then you start to bounce around um, because it's a brotherhood, right? Brotherhood relationships. So you can definitely expect it. It's a slow grind. It takes. It's going to be a process, but I think it'll happen just like the influx of players happen. Well, I I, uh, I have to agree with you guys on that. You're absolutely right, and it is Mark Eversley who uh, broke that. Uh, that glass ceiling to become the first Canadian GM. And I'm in agreement with you guys. I think we're going to see a lot more of it in the years to come. We've, you know, it started with the players. You know, Andy, your dad, Leo Rounds, was the first first rounder to be drafted in the NBA. And I think mm-hmm. in three. Okay. Um, Steve Nash was the first Canadian to win the MVP. Anthony Bennett, the first Canadian to be drafted number one. And we're just we're just seeing it through and through. I mean, Canadians are a huge factor in the NBA. I think they, they make up the second biggest population of players after uh, United States-born players. So the future of basketball in Canada and with Canadians is, I think it's past the start. I think it's into its maybe, uh, I don't know, it's like a teenager now. It's yeah. still not a full adult. It still has tons of room to grow, and it's just going to get bigger, bigger and more and more successful. Okay, quick break. Uh, Henderson Brewery, our sponsor. The best beer is the beer you love. Shout out to Henderson Brewery and everything that they do for us. We're, uh, we're thrilled to have them as a sponsor on the podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now to the NBA. It was a hell of a week in free agency. Um, I, I thought that the really big names kind of stuck with their teams for the most part. Um but the the early the news today is the Bogdan Bogdanovich, and I just can't believe that what he's gone through in this past week or two. You know, first, he gets traded by the Kings to the Milwaukee Bucks, but then he exercises his right to become a restricted free agent. I, I don't know what the Kings or I don't know what either of those teams were thinking. They clearly hadn't vetted the deal very well. And then he signs an offer sheet with the Atlantic Hawks, Atlanta Hawks, I think four years, 72 mil. And the Kings, who are supposedly a team on the rise, don't match it. So Bogdanovich is gone. The Kings lose him and get absolutely nothing in return. No assets. They were going to get DiVincenzo and I think George Hill from Milwaukee that at least would have given them some depth. Um, now their best maybe not their best three-point shooter, but certainly their specialist is gone, and he's gone to the Hawks. Um, how does this look for the Kings? And also, are the Hawks putting something together where they might be competing for a playoff spot uh, this coming season, Shep? I think where the Hawks are concerned, is it's great moves for them because you get a guy that's obviously this is his, his second contract, but he's a little older given, you know, he came across, he came from Europe a little later. So I think he's about 28 right now. So it's a guy that you're going to get that's a bit more mature um, than most his age because he's played professionally for so long. And he's he's been established in the NBA. Like he's, and it's a guy that can stretch the floor for you. 
then when you're looking at the fact that you know they they have some young perimeter guys he's a guy that can not only be a mentor but can contribute as well so I think that in addition to Rondo coming over is, a, is is huge for them because now you have, you know, not only a guy that can contribute and mentor, but he's a guy that's won. And I think that's the piece. That's a stat that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but he knows how to win. He can show those guys how to win. And then you, you couple that with Trey Young, who's, you know, the cornerstone of that franchise. Um, it's a it's a big play for them. It's a big move for them, and I think you know this is the time they have to start making that push, and then maybe they'll shift around some pieces later on when once they're they're in that position. A- Andy's guy Landry Fields making some moves. Landry's making oh, some yeah, big yeah, moves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean they had some great pickups. I think they're one of the most successful teams during free agency. Uh, you're looking to max out a guy like John Collins. You pick up Clint Capella. Um, you know, you pick up a nice two-way guy in Tony Snell. It's giving you a lot of depth. Um, if I'm Bogdanovich, you know, I feel great about making 75 mil. You know, I'm just averaging 15 points. That's a that's a big come up. And I think that the Sacramento Kings weren't really willing to invest that in him. Maybe they didn't believe in him as much as Atlanta, but um, you got to be happy for him for getting the bag. I'm, I'm a huge bogey fan from back in the day when he started out in Fenerbahce. Um, he's an experienced guy on the Serbian national team. He's won European titles. Like you said, Chevy gives him a wealth of experience. Uh, along with Danilo Gallinari, you have that European flavor on the team now. Uh, I think they're going to be pl- playing the right basketball. They got scorers. They got bigs that can run the floor. Experienced European vets. I mean, I think they're doing, they're doing all the right things there, and they won this free agency. And that when you look at the fact that, you know, Atlanta paid slightly over market value for him, you have, as a player, you have to feel good and confident going into that oh, situation. Somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This team wants me. Like they're showing me that they want me. Like obviously, it's not always about money, but in a situation like this, it speaks volumes. That you know, here, here it is. We want you this much. One team that showed a, that they wanted a player is the Toronto Raptors, and the Fred Van Vliet uh, re-signing. I think I think we were all in agreement that it was going to happen, and I think it came in at a price that is fair market value to both sides. I mean, for Fred Van Vliet to be a 20, 21, 22 million dollar player a year uh, for a guy who was not drafted into the NBA, uh, that is just a, a huge, huge amount of money and and but also well deserved and it, and it's you know that's the value uh, that that he he has attained for himself. What I noticed on his tweets, or in some of the interviews he did after, was that he talked about, I think he used the word, the pre-Kawhi Raptors, where it was easy for the NBA world to overlook the Toronto Raptors. And, you know, there there are some changes to that roster. Um, a lot of key pieces from the championship team are now gone, and that's all, that's not even a year and a half ago. And right off the top, four of the key guys from that team are long gone. Um, is he, does he have a point to say that people are overlooking the Raptors again? Uh, I, I think, I think that he's right in saying that, but I also think that that's where the Raptors thrive. I think that's their sweet spot being overlooked. You know, uh, I think that they play their best basketball when they have no expectations. And I think anybody does actually. So to go into this season under the radar, 
you know, you, you brought your one of your key guys back in Fred. And I think I think Fred was playing the long game there. I think he was kind of putting out his expected trajectory earnings, uh, you know, while keeping in mind that he actually wanted to be in Toronto, you know, to kind of see where they would match at. And, and I think Fred's taking home generational wealth. So, he's he, you know, he's got to feel good about that. He, he, he's deserved it. Um, and I love that they kept him here as a cornerstone of this this organization. They definitely have some question marks now, you know, with Serge leaving and, and Marcus All heading that defensive uh, effort and, and bringing in a guy like Alex Len is is kind of a confusing one. And the market was looking pretty thin at that point. Um, I do like Aaron Baines. I think he's he's a guy that, that came in in the system, you know, a Spurs guy, and uh, I think that he can be you know really helpful here in Toronto with the physical presence and kind of picking up some of the slack that Marcus Saul might have left behind. But I think they're making all the right moves uh, for the long play. And uh, like I said, I think they're they're in a good position to kind of fly in under the radar and be successful this year. I agree, Andy. I think they, they've been in a situation where they've lost a lot of pieces over the last couple of years and still been resilient. You know, they, they lose Kawhi. You know, okay, they win a championship, lose Kawhi, come back and have you know, their their best regular season in in franchise history. So, you know, when you're look when you're looking at it, it's easy to get anxiety and assume, you know, the team is gonna struggle. As you know, even in this year where now they've essentially lost their their front court. Um, but they've proven time and time again. I think Masai is also somebody that you have to trust in and then Absolutely. Trust Masai and then um Kyle. That you you can't say enough about him, Kyle. Somebody's proven to be the cornerstone of you know the heart and soul of this team. So I think until he's gone or he's out of here, you you still have a, a chance, and you have your core guys, you have your heart, and then you have your soul in, in Steady Freddie. Yeah, I think you have to always err on the side of Masai and Bobby having something up their sleeve. I think they've done yeah. the right thing time and time again, even when you thought that decision might not have been the best thing. I think they know and they're privy to much more than we can understand, and they've proved that time and time again. I, I That I agree with. Um, I do think they're going to have to have something up their sleeve this time around because I don't think as presently constructed, um, I, I don't see a roster that... I'm confident in predicting to say goes to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, they have a lot of swagger. Uh, they have the accomplishments behind them. And now you have some guys who are very happy. Siakam and Van Vliet have signed for the long term. They have a lot of money, but they still have something to prove. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Lowry, even though he's getting a bit older, still was outstanding last season. But I just don't know where... Um, that necessary that who you're giving the ball to to create that basket late in the game i think that affected them in the boston series and andy you mentioned it losing gasol like he was the anchor to the defense i i do think defense is um set up as an important aspect of what the raptors do and they know it i just don't know if they still are going to have the leadership personnel and the, the defensive talent to really remain one of the top five best defenses in the league. And they're going to not have any home court advantage this year. Other teams will, you know, they're moving down to, to Tampa, um, which I guess we haven't really had a chance to talk about on this podcast either. You know, somebody uh, thought they were going to be staying in Toronto. And, uh, I was pretty sure the government. 
wasn't yeah. wasn't going to let that happen. I, I I wanted to ask you guys um, about Serge Ibaka, who who left after four years here, and um, you know the last two years, the championship season and the, the past year, I thought Serge Ibaka was outstanding. His first two years here, and he came in mid season, I think, in the, the Terrence Ross trade. Um, I thought were were disappointing. Um, what did he do? How did he turn it around to become such a fan favorite in Toronto and really all of Canada? I I think you know when you're talking about what he did on the court, he came here as a you know an athlete, and he developed his game over the time, you know, so that he could play perimeter. Obviously, he got he aged. Um, he could be a defensive presence, shot blocker, but still um, evolve with the current day game in that he now he had added some touch to his game or a, a shot to his game and was able to extend to perimeter. Um, so I think he, he adjusted, he adapted from the on-court perspective. But then when you take into account, you know, who he was off the court is where you make that connection with the fan base and so forth. And I think he was, he was extremely transparent with who he was. He was fun. He was vulnerable and he let people into his life so that you could, you know, just get some insight. And for fans, that's that's another component they don't really get to see is like who are these mythical characters in their homes, who are they in their in their regular days. And and you know, that that was a hit with him because from his you know, his cooking, his from his yeah, his Mafuzi chef. Mafuzi, that's right. Right. To his his fashion sense, to you know, just having a personality. Um, people gained an appreciation for him, and and in doing all that, he still allowed, he still evolved as a player, and I think that was was important. Yeah, I mean, uh, having the chance to spend some time with him when I was in OKC, you know, a lot of the guys became frustrated with Serge because he was he was taking too many threes. I mean, he was trying to play outside of what they thought his role should be, and then that frustrated guys like Russ Westbrook and, and Kevin Durant and James Harden at the time. And then you go transition into Orlando, you know, you kind of feel yourself out on a new team, a new organization. You're kind of trying to find your way. So I think that's why initially he may have struggled here in Toronto, but he found comfort. And, you know, he has that, that uh, you know, the African connection with Masai. I think mm-hmm. he feels that comfortability from a leadership, uh, from a managerial standpoint, and that allowed him to be himself. I mean, you saw a few times he's got that, that fire in him, and then and the Raptors didn't punish him for that. I think they wanted to set that that grit, that tone, and let Serge be Serge. And he kind of set the ball for the, for the ferocity and the, and the, uh, uh, the level of play uh, for these younger guys. And even, you know, even that connection culturally, the African connection, I think just yeah. being in, t- in Toronto for a, a guy like that is being a place oh, so you're Absolutely. able to relax, unwind, and, and, you know, submerge yourself in in your community, be comfortable with foods. And because and, those are a lot of things to adjust to. I think like even you and I would have experienced that going over to to Europe is just like you're out of your cultural norm. And until, you know, well, some footing there. He's, he started his NBA career in Oklahoma City. I mean, that would have been a real culture shock. Jeez. I, think, I think coming to Toronto, he did embrace that kind of um, metropolitan, cosmopolitan life. But I, I think it took some time because... You know, Andy, when you say he was on the Thunder and he's he's jacking threes and you have Durant, Westbrook, and Harden standing there like, mm-hmm. you know, ball, like, you, you can understand why that would have caused frustration. He, he struggled a bit in Orlando, 
And really that first year and a half with Toronto, you saw that continuing and he was just shooting threes at a, at a pretty low percentage and it just, it just wasn't working. And there was some talk, you know, in the, the two Cleveland series that they lost that people wanted Bismack Biombo back because he provided a physical presence and he knew his defense and was. wasn't shooting threes. And I think Ibaka made a huge adjustment. Um, he, he took on that pick and pop game with Lowry. And I just remember thinking to myself, that is the most automatic two points on this team. Um, when he sets a pick, Lowry finds him wide open at that like 15 foot jumper. And he, he hit those so often dur- during the championship season. Um, you know, but, you know what? I was actually thinking, in all the moves that the Raptors have made and, and retained, I think he actually has the most to lose because if you look at his contract structure, he uh, two year with a player option into this in his second uh, going into next summer, where, where there's a lot more money to spend. So with that in mind, you know that this player wants to test the market again, right? As opposed to signing for a longer term. Now, me personally, I would more of if, if I'm going to be going for the, I'm getting older and I want, want some longevity, want some security. I would have stuck with Toronto in the sense that, you know how I play. I know the system. The coach knows how to use me. My players know how to play with me. I'll be able to get the numbers I need to get, you know, a bigger, longer contract going into next, next year. So it's a little strange to me from that perspective, because now you're going into a whole new system, whole new players to adjust to you. It's not going to be the same. So yeah. You go, he loves Kawhi, from what I understand. Kawhi, yeah. 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 if you have the opportunity to play with Kawhi in a warm weather climate for a guy like Steve Ballmer, I mean, you play well there. You're going to get the bag at the end of the day, regardless. Yeah, yeah, but fair. It, it's an interesting prospect, you know, to go out there and chase another ring when you feel like it might be more of a transition year for the Raptors, who who may not get that opportunity. Right. I I, I see it that way too. I I think Kawhi called up his, you know. Serge was definitely Kawhi's best friend on of the players in that year. And, you know, you put Serge Ibaka on the Clippers this past year, I think they get past the the Denver Nuggets in that in that playoff round. I don't know that they blow the 3-1 lead. I think, you know, when Paul George was really struggling, you might have been able to go to Serge for a little bit of steadiness and just get a – hit a two-point basket here maybe when you when you needed it instead of those threes that were going off the sides of the backboards. Um, <laughs> going, it happened, right? I'm not making no, it The question up. is how long it's going to take them to get that, to find that comfortability in L.A. and how impactful he can be right away. As, as a veteran player, he should be able to make the adjustment pretty quickly, right? That that would be, oh, that would be great, yeah. I, I think that that's I know, the whole news. There's a lot of variables there, man, because you have yeah. Paul George needs the ball, Kawhi needs the ball, and we're forgetting Lou Will needs the ball. And yeah, and you, you have seen him on a team, a loaded roster like that before, and how Pat, it played out. And we don't sleep. Pat Bev is not the best player, but he needs the ball as well. So. Well, I, I mean, Serge probably is going to be part of that uh, that bench crew in the Clippers. You know, Montrez Harrell left. Did he go to the Lakers? Did Harold go to the Lakers? I yeah, Montrez with the Lakers, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I think I think uh, Ibaka is going to have a, a an instantaneous place with LA. He will help them on defense. Yeah, can we can we talk the Lakers a little bit? Um, defending champions, and I think their roster already is way better this year than the team that won the championship. Montrez Harold, 
Dennis Schroeder, uh, Wesley Matthews, Marcus All. They did lose Rajon Rondo. Um, I think Kuzma's still there. I don't know if he's happy, but I think he's still there. Um, are the Lakers are the Lakers going to be better this year than they were last year when they won the championship? Ten times better because you get, you know, I, I know everybody loves Danny Green or has a love hate relationship depending on if he's hitting shots or not. But <laughs> you have you have you know a guy in in Danny Green that's pretty much averaged nine two and two over his over his career. And then you bring in, you know, you pretty much swap out for Wes Matthews, who over his career is 13-3-2, shooting essentially the same numbers. So offensively, you're getting a better player, more dynamic. And you know, you're, you're, you're getting the same now. Schroeder, you're getting a younger player. But again, dynamic player can do a lot of things on the, on the court for you. A better offensive player, uh, you're not going to get the experience with him. But then at the same time, if you're building this team for the next couple of years, you have LeBron and, and AD's mentorship with a Schroeder and, and guys that know how to win. So I, I think it's a it's a, it's a a good move for them. I, I, they got better. I don't know what... They, what and you can see it because teams, guys are leaving the West running from, from the Lakers. And in years before, everybody was running to the East. Sorry, running running to the West to play. So, yeah, it's it's they're they're, they're tough. They're tough. Yeah, I think they they definitely added to their physical inside presence. They were one of the most dominant rebounding teams throughout the playoffs, and you just get better adding her out of that mix. Wesley Matthews is a big three and D guy. He's going to do whatever it takes to win games. He's a Marquette guy, so he's one of those you know get down grind work work type of type of Jimmy Butlers that you want on your team. Um, and then to me, Dennis Schroeder is like a young Rondo in a way. I think he's a facilitator. Nice. He's equally as I think he's quicker than Rondo. His first step is explosive. He he plays with pace. He plays smart, and he can score. So to 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 be that dynamic of a player on a team where you have guys like uh, where you have your 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 Caldwell Pope who who can get to the corners, where you got LeBron who can. Uh, either facilitate or score. I think it's going to be a deadly dynamic for them, um, and, and and I think that they made all the right moves in free agency for sure. Does anybody want to take a stab at how the hell Mark Gasol is going to keep up with this team? <laughs> how is he going to get up and down the court? Is what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> just a defensive quarterback, man, and and uh, I think he's I think he's he's a staple to what you know, like you said, DG. He's he's an anchor for the for any defense out there and. Um, he has a wealth of experience, European as well as uh, as well as Schroeder. So I think that um, he's going to be more of a locker room type of guy that Rondo was uh, to bring that kind of championship experience as well as his defensive prowess. And, and when he is on the court, he will never have to shoot the ball, kind of like in that with Toronto. I mean, they just didn't rely on his offense that much. It's not what he's there for. He, if he can make it down, make one pass, get right back on, get right back on D. Um, I, I think the Lakers are loaded all of a sudden, and I think they're the odds on. Um, you know, if you're if you're Las Vegas, you probably have the Lakers as the favorite, um, looking for a repeat, and boy, that would be LeBron's fifth ring. Or is he? Yeah, that would be his fifth ring, and his resume is starting to get more and more sparkling and competitive the the one team the other team that i think is going to be so intriguing in the west is the golden state warriors 
And, you know, last week we did our podcast. Clay Thompson went down. It was confirmed the next day. He's out for the year with the Achilles. So somehow they get Kelly Oubre. Um, They have gone way over on the luxury tax. But, man, they're, they're starting five. Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Oubre, Draymond Green, James Wiseman. I assume that's his projected starting five. Maybe not a ton of help on the bench, but holy cow, that that starting five. I mean, who do you? What, what do you do? Who do you double? Who? What's? How do you stop that that starting five lineup? I think you have all facets covered, with the exception of maybe Wiseman starting. I don't know. You know, he's kind of projected as a project. I think he's one of the more talented guys in the draft. Um, I would have nabbed him up early as well. I think he's got a huge upside, um, but I think they do lack a little bit of depth in the front court. But, you know, you pick up a guy like Kelly Oubre, who's one of the most underrated two-way players in the league. I mean, he's a dog. He can go out and make shots. He can lock down your, your best offensive guy on any given night. Um, and you have a wealth of talent with, with, with Wiggins and with Steph. So I think they're going to be one of the teams to beat in the West as far as them taking it. I'm not entirely sold on it yet, but I still think they have some moves to make with the rest of free agency, and I'm looking forward to see what the roster's looking like. I think they have to prove it. I mean, they definitely have the talent there, um, but the guys, you know, some of the guys are young, some of the wise men, Oubre, um, and then, you know, Wiggins has been in there for a while, but he's yet to really cement himself and establish as you know, the, the proven. So I think, you know, when they have Curry with Curry and with Draymond, it's, it's could be the perfect marriage to, you know, bring those guys along. But again, you know, coming, those guys coming off an of injury, you have to really set some things in stone fundamentally to see if the, to be, to really see if this team can be successful. I'm not as, as high on them as yet until, you know, you, you get going within the season, about mid season, we'll really see, what form they're in yeah it's it's going to be uh it's going to be a while for that new group to kind of get it together i mean you, the core now is is curry and green um i did think they were in big trouble when thompson went down but Ubre is a nice addition to that really yeah. I mean, 18 19 points a night uh three point you know he's not he's not clay thompson but He's still very above average as a shooter. He's got a long athletic body, plays D, like you said, AR. Um, the Warriors are going to continue to be really dangerous. And they also, they're a team that kind of has a way of developing players as well. I mean, Looney's still there. Um, they're they're going to they're gonna compete for first place in the West. Maybe not first, but certainly um, I could see them getting to the West Finals. Um Running out of time, but I want to slingshot back out east. Um, I don't want to say I was shocked by the Gordon Hayward uh, deal with the Charlotte Hornets, but I didn't really see that coming. Um, when when he turned down the option, the one year option with the Celtics, I kind of had a feeling he probably had another good offer lined up. But I, I think we're looking at the vicinity of four years, one twenty with Charlotte. Um, Shep, your your guy, uh, Coach Nathaniel Mitchell's down there in in North Carolina. Um, what what are the Hornets expecting from Gordon Hayward? Is he coming in averaging twenty five a night and leading them to the playoffs? I, you know, I, I don't think that's the the agenda, but they they're 
building a, a solid foundation now, I would imagine, because, you know, you're taking the, to account that, you know, Hayward did show this year that he's, he's back to form uh, ever since coming off of that, that injury that he's had. In, I believe that was in Until he got injured again. Minor, minor. Well, so I guess there are going to be some questions in, in regards to his health. Um, he did have the ankle injury that held him out of the playoffs a bit. But um, if you look at the, the bigger picture, he came off a season at 18 points per game, facilitator, and, and guy can defend multiple positions. He can play multiple positions. Now you add, I think, I think you know, why you have to give him that money is from the front office standpoint of Charlotte, you have to show that you're making an effort now because you, you brought in, you drafted LaMelo Ball, which, um, it's LaMelo? Lamelo. Yeah, yeah. Lamelo. Yeah, there's so many of them. But you drafted Lamelo, which is so many balls. He's gonna he's gonna bring in. He's gonna fill the box office, right? So um, now there's gonna be added pressure from the front office's perspective to to produce and perform a solid you know team and product out there. Like they've missed the playoffs in the last couple of years by one spot, like the ninth and tenth spot over the last three four years, and then. Devontae Graham has showed progress that he can compete. You have Terry Rozier, and now you add this piece. So there's really, an, and the medal. So there's really no excuse not to be a playoff team. So I think, you know, it was just fortunate for Hayward that he was in a situation where this team, their back's against the wall and they need to show something now. So he was, he was the beneficiary. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a Gordon Hayward guy for some weird reasons. <laughs> Butler, Syracuse, what? But you have to respect him. He's a, he's a proven veteran in the league. You do have to be concerned about his, his proneness to injury. Um, but look, anybody's really an improvement from, from Nick Batum, if we're being honest here, at the small forward slot. And I think you bring in a guy like Gordon Hayward, who has proved himself. He's on the come up, like Shep said. I just found it really strange that he wouldn't have given Indiana a better shot it being his hometown team, you know, more of a he would have more of an impact there. I feel like, uh, as opposed to like riding that pressure down in Charlotte for a new wave, you know, Indiana is more of an established organization. I feel like, and, and that comfort level was already there. But um, I think that you can expect some exciting things from Charlotte uh, to surround Lamelo Ball with, with with some good talent, experienced talent, and, and to kind of see what they do with it. There's there's definitely something something happening in Charlotte. I don't know if they're there yet, but they're they're going to be an intriguing team to keep an eye on with with Hayward, Graham, Lamelo Ball. They're definitely going in a new direction. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make a bold prediction, and I think one of Atlanta or Charlotte will be a playoff team in in 2021. Hold okay. on, hold on. Something just dawned on me. I, I, uh -huh. Ar, you might be you might remember better than me, but the Butler Bulldogs, the point guard. When they had that run, I believe he's an assistant with Charlotte, and I believe he played. He may have played with Gordon Hayward. I forget his uh, name. Uh, Norad, Ronald Norad. He was with Ron, Ronald. He was with the main Red Claws for a while. Ronald might have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah I but remember him. There's, there's something there. there. Yeah. They, scouted, they scouted me for that game, and he stuck to me like white on rice, man. <laughs> you, know, you know exactly. What you're about. Shut up. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, fuck Butler. <laughs> <laughs> no hard feelings. Well, okay. We'll uh, we'll keep that in mind next time we see the Charlotte Hornets. I'm looking up the uh, yeah Ronald Norid, college Butler. There you go. Yeah, you're getting out okay. like that. Well, we uh, 
another hour. We got through it. We're all in our homes on Zoom, so it was a bit of an adjustment for us. We uh, we really like the chemistry of uh, of being in a room together, but uh, safety always always takes precedence. Um, special thanks to our producer, Mr. Dan Wong, who uh, just always does such an incredible job with us. Um, Andy Routens, thank you, and of course, special thanks today, and uh, and pride and celebration and wishes to the new, the newly named general manager of the Canadian Elite Basketball League's Ottawa Blackjacks. You heard him here first. His first extensive, hard hitting interview, and we uh, we were happy to have him here today and to talk about it. And thank you to all of you for listening. So. For all of us here at Gym Rats and Joints, I'm Dan Gladman, and we are going to do another episode next week. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you then. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.